So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be not a fan? Because there is a great discrepancy in our culture today, and that has really, uh, it's really a phenomenon that has kind of swept into the local church, and that is uh, that it is almost cool, especially here in the South, to kind of be a Jesus fan, right? If you live in Arab, Alabama, uh, it, it's kind of the cool thing, it's kind of the right thing to go to church and, and kind of love God and be a Jesus fan. But how many of you recognize that Jesus really never called us to be a fan? He called us to be a follower. And we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, what does that really look like? How do we truly become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? And how do we break out of that fan-based mentality? Because if you think about it, I mean, I was just thinking about the games yesterday and, and uh, you know, what an awesome day for some Alabama and some Auburn football. And, and Auburn whooped the number one team in the land. And Alabama won a nail-biter there in the last quarter, last few minutes of the game to come back and stay undefeated and, and hopefully move up to that number one spot again. And, and and some exciting things happened yesterday. But, you know, as I was thinking about the difference between a fan and a follower, you know, fans have lots of choices, especially on game day, right? On game day, uh, if you're a fan, Alabama-Auburn fan, you had lots of choices yesterday. Am I going to stay at home and watch the game? Am I going to go to the game? Am I going to wear my team colors? Am I going to eat hot wings and pizza? Or what am I going to do, right? I got all kinds of choices. But how many of you know that if you're actually on the team, you don't have any choices on game day? If you're on the team, you know what you're going to wear because the coach is telling you what you're going to wear. You know what plays you're going to run because the coach is telling you what plays you're going to run. And you actually are not thinking about your choices. On game day, if you're a player, you're thinking about your commitment, right? You're thinking about the commitment that you made to this team that I'm going to get on the game, I'm going to get on the field, I'm going to get in the game, and I'm going to give everything I got so that we can come out with a big W at the end of the day, so we can advance our season, so we can move forward in what we believe we have been called to do as players. And the reality is simple. Simply this, we have all been called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And God is compelling us, I really believe today, for every believer to get in the game. Not to be a fan, right? Because if you think about fans for just a minute, in Alabama, was it Mississippi State, and right, they had all the cowbells going. I mean, man, what a great fan base they had. And, and I was just thinking about fans. And you know what? Fans, they can, they can be an encouragement. And fans can be a discouragement, depending on what team you're on, right? But the reality is simply this. Fans never really change the outcome of the game. you got to be on the field, and you got to be in the game if you're going to change the outcome of the game. And unfortunately, we have way too many Christians that aren't changing the outcome of the game. Their lives are not altering the ending of what God has called us to do. Their lives are not impacting what's going to happen next. Whether we win or whether we lose, many of what we call Christians are really fans. Right? They love to cheer, they love to shout, they love to hoop, they love to holler. But how many of you understand all the hooping and hollering is really irrelevant? I mean, I'm sure we had some armchair quarterbacks in the house last night, right? How many of you guys were helping Coach Saban call some plays right there at the end? Or, or maybe helping Gus, you know, figure out what we're going to do to continue to win this game? And right, we got armchair quarterbacks, armchair coaches, and you're screaming at your television. And how many of you realize everything you said and everything you did was irrelevant? You were totally irrelevant to the outcome of the game. How many Christians are that way? 
How many fans of Jesus Christ do we have out there that will come to church consistently on a Sunday and they'll sing the songs and, and they'll shout the shouts and they'll pray the prayers, but really at the end of the day, their life is irrelevant to what's happening on the playing field called Christianity. Amen. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want my life to make a difference. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 9, because in Matthew chapter 9, we get just a little snippet here. The Bible says, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Look at that first point on your outline. I want you to see this. Christianity is not about being a fan. Jesus did not say to Matthew, come and worship me. He didn't even say, come and pray to me. He said, come and follow me. Amen. Follow me. Don't just worship me. Don't just pray to me. Don't just celebrate me. Don't just acknowledge me. But I want you to actually follow me. Now, in the, in the biblical times, in the time in which Jesus lived, when a rabbi, and Jesus was recognized as a rabbi in his time, when a rabbi said to someone, follow me, they understood what that meant. They understood that meant a total commitment. This was not a casual, hey, I'm going to just kind of check Jesus out. No. Whenever a rabbi said, come and follow me, what that rabbi literally meant is leave everything you have and come and follow me. I mean, like literally follow me. <laughs> Like everywhere I go and in everything I do, I want you to go where I go. I want you to do what I do. I want you to say what I say. And ultimately, I want you to act like I act because you're going to be one of my disciples. And Christianity is really, that's what it's all about. Christianity is not about us being a fan. It's about us being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I really believe, as I just said, that God is calling us out of the stands, and He is calling us. I want you to do this. Onto the playing field. It's time for us to get in the game. Amen. Man, let's make a difference. Let's get in the game. Let's do something that determines and changes the outcome. Because I believe this. I believe God has called every person in this room to be a game changer. Right? You have the potential, you have the power, you have the opportunity through Christ to change the outcome of the game. And I want you to understand what's at stake here today, because sometimes I think we don't recognize what is at stake. If you're here today, how many, how many parents we got in the house? Got any parents in the house? Let me just tell you something. You know what's at stake? Your children. We got any grandparents in the house? You know what's at stake? Your grandchildren. We got any aunts and uncles in the house? You know what's at stake? Your nieces and your nephews, the generations, the generations that are behind us, everybody has somebody behind them. And that's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. I am convinced with all my heart that we have children and grandchildren, we have nieces and nephews, and we have people that are behind us that are watching us, that are looking for something that is real, right? People aren't looking for a Sunday morning experience. People are looking for something they can give their life to. And our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, they are looking for somebody that is following Jesus. The Apostle Paul made this radical statement. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. <clears throat> That's awesome. Think about that. What a bold statement. Follow me. Paul said, if you'll do what I do, if you'll live like I live, if you'll say what I say, if you'll act like I act, you'll actually act like, talk like, walk like, and live like Jesus. Just follow me. I believe our kids and our grandkids are looking for somebody they can follow. They're looking for somebody who there's not a discrepancy between what we celebrate on Sunday and how we live on Monday. 
They're looking for a reality that they can follow somebody. And I just want you to understand, it is so critical and it is so essential to the fact that we are leading generations. Everybody, and you might say, well, Pastor Keith, I'm single, I'm not married, I don't have any kids. I want to tell you something, somebody's following you. Somebody is looking to you. And there is a world of watching eyes out there, right? I believe there's a lost and dying world that are looking for followers. Right? Not fans. Anybody can shake their pom-pom. Right? It's amazing. I've, I've, never, heard, I've never heard any kind of uh, on, on Sports Center. I've never heard the, the Sports Center announcers talk about how, how, how Gus and Nick are looking to recruit some better cheerleaders. I've never heard them say, you know, Alabama, they would really go the next level if they could just raise the game of their cheerleaders. Boy, Auburn, they can win another championship if they could just get their cheerleaders to cheer a little bit louder. I mean, no, they're not talking about who's recruiting the cheerleaders. They're talking about the players. They're talking about we got to get the right people in the game. We got to get the right people on the team. We got to get the right people on the field. And if we can get the right people in the game and on the field, we can win some ball games. I want to tell you something. We're fighting for something more than a ball game. We're not looking for a W on a Saturday. We're looking for souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere in heaven or in hell. And it is very much based upon the reality. Are we going to give them somebody to follow? Because we're following. Christ. So how do we do this? Look at that next point. How do we get out of the stands and get into the game? Jesus tells us in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is the story of the woman uh, that was caught in the act of adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees bring her before Jesus. They want Jesus to stone her, and Jesus uh, makes this amazing statement. He says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their rocks and they walk away. And we jump in in verse 10. And, Jesus, and when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. I want to stop right there for just a second because that's an amazing statement. I want you to understand that God did not come to condemn you, right? John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is just as awesome. Amen. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How many of you know we didn't need help being condemned? We do that pretty good on our own. We're condemned by our own sin, right? We are our own worst critics. Not only does our sin condemn us, we condemn us. Right? One of the biggest obstacles and challenges most of you have in your own personal life is overcoming your self-condemnation. That's one of the biggest issues most people, most people are battling on a daily basis is that they can't forgive themselves. They can't get past their old life, their old mistakes. Let me just tell you something. We're going to talk about living for, the, for Jesus today like we do every Sunday. And I want you to understand, I don't care what your past has been. What is your today and your tomorrow going to be? There is forgiveness for your past, but we are accountable for our today. We are accountable for today. Our past can be forgiven, praise God. And there is forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. And so God has not come to condemn us. There is no condemnation. There is no accusation in the heart of God towards you. God does not want to condemn you. He wants to redeem you and rescue you and set our feet right on a right path that other people can follow us because we are following after Jesus. But look at that next part of the statement. 
Because Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. That's an important statement. It's important because we kind of live in this greasy grace mentality right today, right? We, we have this idea in modern day American culture that, you know, the grace of God allows us to live any way we want to live and do anything we want to do because at the end of the day, God's grace covers us and God's grace forgives us and, and it's all going to wash out and be okay at the end of the day. I want you to understand that is not the message of the gospel. The grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is the empowerment by the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and to walk out the freedom and the victory that Jesus Christ has given us. Jesus did not say, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and continue in your sin. No, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we're going to see something why that's so important. Look at this next verse. Because here's the key. How, how do we get out of the stands and get into the game? Here it is. Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Amen. He who follows me, there it is, he who follows me, not he who fans me, not he who worships me, not he who prays to me, but he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look at that next point on your outline. So how do we get out of the stands and get in the game? Number one, we have to deal with the sin that keeps us in the stands and out of the game. we got to deal with the sin. How many of you know sin disqualifies you? Sin sidelines you. Sin keeps you from operating at your fullest potential. Sin causes you to be set to the side instead of put in the game. I mean, isn't it interesting that even in secular college football, we have players that get suspended Right? They get suspended because of the decisions and the choices and the actions that they make. And even in a secular sport called football, there are standards that qualify you to be on the field. How much more? How much more are there standards that allow us to get in the game of Christianity and begin to live the life? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. So what do we have to do? We have to deal with the sin. We have to deal with the sin. Why? Because if I'm walking in darkness, guess what? I'm not following Jesus. I mean, think about that little simple statement for just a minute. If I'm walking in darkness, I'm not following Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean I don't fall down every now and then. It doesn't mean I don't skim my knee and scrape my elbow up on occasion. But it means that I am not walking in darkness. I'm walking in the light. Because if I'm walking in darkness, I'm not following Jesus, right? It is impossible for you to turn on the light and remain in the dark. Right? When you go in the darkest room in your house, the moment you flip the light switch, guess what happens? The darkness is distinguished, extinguished by the light. You can't be in the dark and be in the light at the same time. You can't follow the light of the world and walk in sin and deception and mockery and unrighteousness. You just can't do it. It's impossible. They're contradictory to one another. I cannot walk in light and walk in darkness. I cannot follow Jesus and live a lifestyle of immorality. And so what has to happen if I want to get out of the stands and get in the game? i got to be willing to deal with the sin. And let me just say this to you. Why is this so important? It's important because I want you to hear this. God doesn't have a second string. God doesn't have a second string. God has a jersey with everybody's name on it, and God has a place on the field for every single person. Amen. 
God has a place on the field for every single person. God wants every believer to get in the game. God wants every believer to get in the game. So why is it so important that we deal with sin? Because sin disconnects us. Sin separates us. Sin isolates us. Sin disqualifies us from being able to get in the game and do the things God has called us to do. Now, I know there's some big sin, right? We, we like to talk about the big sin, drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, and, and those are sins. Well, there's also the sin of pride and the sin of jealousy and the sin of envy and the sin of bitterness, and the sin of resentment. There's this thing called fear. The Bible says God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. How many of you know that when you embrace us, when you embrace fear, you're living in sin. You're coming short of the glory of God. Fear is sin. Unbelief is sin. I know what God said, but. I know God said I could, but. I know God said He's for me, but. But I call them the holy butts. <laughs> them holy butts are not really holy. They're pretty unholy, as a matter of fact. I probably would change the name. And so we begin to recognize why, why is this important? Why is it significant that we get why is it significant that we deal with the sin? Because God wants us in the game. And it takes every person doing everything that God has called each of us to do to allow us to do what God has purposed in his heart to be done. Last night I was watching the end of the Alabama-Mississippi State game, and, uh, and there was a moment there where Mississippi State only had 10 players on the field. You know what their coach did? He called, timeout, 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 timeout. We don't have our players on the field. We got to get everybody on the field. We can't play unless we get everybody on the field. If we don't have every position filled, guess what? The enemy will win. The enemy will score. Somebody will get taken out. Somebody will get drugged to hell. Somebody that should have been and would have been and could have been won't. Because there was a missing player on the field. So you matter, guys. God, God says we got to deal with sin because you matter. Your life matters. You are significant. You are critical. You are vital to work that God wants to do. And again, we're not shooting for a W on a Saturday. We are fighting for the eternal souls of men and women. And not just men and women, we're fighting for our sons and our daughters, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. We're fighting for those that are coming up behind us. So I want you to look with me at this great scripture. Matthew 18. Jesus just, he gets serious about sin. And I believe we ought to get serious about sin. We're not condemned by sin because there's victory over it. But we ought to be serious about sin. Look what Jesus says. About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, that's interesting, right? Amen. Unless you turn from your sins and become like this little child, you can never get into the kingdom of heaven. That'll just preach itself, won't it? Then look at verse 4. He says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But look at verse 6 and 7. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
I'm going to read that again. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Look at verse 7. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptation is inevitable. It's there. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. And that's a pretty sober warning. It would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be dropped in the deepest sea than for you to lead a child to sin. How many know the greatest influence in the life of a child is its parents? Its parents. And then you got grandma and grandpa, and then you got aunts and uncle. How many know family really does affect your life? Your family members affect your life. And Jesus said, hey, it would be better that I tied a big old stone around your neck and threw you in the deepest sea than you should lead a child to sin. Let me tell you one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves about our sin. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You ever heard that? Well, I don't know why you're so upset. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You ever said that to yourself? You ever said that to somebody else? You ever thought that in your mind? Well, I don't know why they're getting all tore up. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Let me tell you something. That is a lie. Because let me tell you what sin does. Sin does two things. Sin affects everybody that is connected to you. Sin affects. There is an effect. There is an impact that sin has on every person's life. Everybody that is connected to you is affected by your sin. But sin doesn't just affect people. I want you to see this. Sin infects people. It doesn't just affect our children and grandchildren. It doesn't just affect our coworkers. It doesn't just affect our spouse. It infects them. Paul said this in the book of Romans. He compared sin to leaven. He said, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't just affect people. It infects people. And you and I know that's true because some of you are 40, 50, 60 years old and you're still battling through bitterness and resentment and issues in your own heart and life that you can trace back to what happened to you when you were six years old. It didn't just affect you, it infected you. It spread like a cancer into your soul and into your spirit and you've been spending, many of you, your whole adult life trying to get free from something that your mom and daddy introduced you to. I'm astounded as I talk to people coming through Celebrate Recovery. I ask them, when did you start doing drugs? They say stuff like this. Well, I was a drug addict at 10 years old. I'm like, what? Where's a 10-year-old get drugs? Oh, my mama gave them to me. I used to go, my uncle used to babysit me. My cousins used to come over. I used to hang out with them. You say, well, Pastor Keith, I would, ne- I would never give my kids. I never give my kids. I would never do that. Well, what about bitterness? They growing up in a bitter home. They growing up in a home where there's jealousy and envy and strife. They're growing up where there's constant contention and chaos. They don't even know what they're ever going to walk into when they come into the house. Everybody's walking on eggshells because nobody knows what kind of mood whoever is in today. 
You know what that does? That not only affects them, that infects them. See, because many of you, when you were a child growing up just like that, you said, when I grow up, I'll never be like my mama. And now you're the mama and you're just like her. Because sin affects and sin infects the lives of the people that we care about. Why is this important? Again, guys, this is not to condemn us. This is to awaken us to the fact that we ought to be serious about sin. This isn't just about you. It's about the people that are connected to you. It's about the people that are following you. It's about the people that are looking to you. And somebody, everybody has somebody looking to them. Everybody. And again, this is not to say, oh, Pastor Keith, I really screwed up my life, but I got saved last year, and what do I do about yesterday? Well, nothing. You ask God for forgiveness, and you start following him today, and guess what will happen? God can undo in a moment what you took a lifetime to mess up. Yesterday is forgiven, but we are accountable for how we live today. Let's look at the rest of this scripture. Jesus goes on. I mean, this, this scripture, Jesus is just clarifying. We are so unclear in our culture today about so many, we got so many cloudy areas, so many gray areas. Jesus is trying to be crystal clear. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, so if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better. Y'all say that with me. It's better. Let's say it one more time. It's better. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both your hands and feet. Verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better. Y'all say it again. It's better. One more time. It's better to have to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Let me just say it to you this way. It's better for you to lose something coming out of darkness than to die in darkness and spend eternity separated from God. It's better to lose something coming out of that. Well, Pastor Keith, you know, if I, if, I, if I deal with that thing, I might lose my job. Lose your job. I might, I, might, I might lose some money. Lose some money. I might lose some relationships. Lose the relationships. I might lose my reputation. You probably don't have one anyway. Go ahead and lose your reputation. Right, we're worried about what we're going to lose. I want to tell you what you're going to lose. You're going to lose everything. If you don't deal with your sin, you're going to lose everything. Jesus said it's better to lose one part and save the rest than to lose it all. It's better. Y'all say it. It's better. Sin is serious business. We're not condemned by sin. We're not afraid of sin. But we should be serious about sin. Why? Because it keeps me out of the game. I am irrelevant. I am irrelevant. I'm just a fan screaming at the TV. And nothing changes. But if I can ever get in the game, I can change something. If I can ever get in the game, I can be a part of doing what God has called us to do. So how do we do this? Let's look at that next point. How do we cut off the sin? How do we come out of the darkness? Here it is. Three things. I want to give you real simple things. Number one, we have to agree with God. That's what the Bible calls confession. To confess is to agree with, to bear witness to. We have to confess our sin, right? John chapter, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all our rights. We have to confess our sin. We have to agree with God about our sin. As long as you condone what God condemns, you'll never be free. As long as you make excuses for your sin, you'll never be free. As long as you make allowances for your sin, you'll never be free. 
I mean, isn't it amazing how many excuses we make about our sin? And again, I'm not talking about just the big stuff. I'm talking about bitterness. I'm talking about jealousy. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about unbelief. I'm talking about worry. So many excuses we make for our worry and our, well, you know what, my mom, we, we just always been kind of worrying people. Well, break it. That sin is disqualifying you. That sin is keeping you out of the game. You can't engage in the game because you're so worried about what might happen. And because of your worry, you're disengaged. Because of your worry, you're sidelined. Because of your worry, you're sitting in a chair screaming at the TV and nothing's happening. Nobody's listening to you. Right? Why? You're not in the game. I learned a long time ago, never let people tell you what to do that aren't doing what you're doing. If you want to tell me what to do, get in the game. I'll listen. But if you're not in the game, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Why? Because you're screaming at a TV. Nobody's listening. You got you to gotta confess. We got to agree with God about our sin. The second thing we have to do is we have to change our minds, right? We have to repent. That's what the Bible calls repentance, to change the way you think. I want to give you three areas you need to repent in. Three areas me and you need to repent in consistently. There needs to be a consistent area of repentance, a consistent area where we are changing the way we think. Number one, you need to change the way you think about yourself. Because most of you, as I talked about self-condemnation a while ago, most of you are your own worst enemies. And you think I'm a failure. You think I'm no good. You think I done messed up too much. God can't use me. I want to tell you all that's a lie. You have been redeemed. You have been rescued. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has qualified you, and he has made you holy through his sacrifice and through his son. And greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. you got to change the way you think. Right? Many of you are not in the game because you don't think you qualify to get in the game. It's not that your sin's disqualifying you. You're just disqualifying yourself. You have sidelined yourself. You have taken yourself out of the game. And you got to change the way you think about yourself. See, I remember when I was in high school, I, I didn't play football, but I played basketball. And in my 11th grade year, we were in the Sweet 16 of the, of the state championship. And, and we were down, there was like 15 seconds left on the clock. We were down by three points, and coach called a timeout. And we're in the huddle. And I'll never forget, a guy named Dwight. Dwight's in there. We get in the huddle, and Dwight says, Coach, give me the ball. I'll take the shot. And I'm sitting there thinking, don't give me the ball. I don't want to take the shot. Now, when I was young, I used to think, give me the ball, take the shot, was pride. But what I didn't realize is I don't want to take the shot was insecurity. I was insecure. He was confident. How many know that when the game's on the line, you don't want to put the ball in the hand of the guy that don't think he can make the shot? You want to put the ball in the hand of the guy that thinks he can make the shot. And many of you are not in the game because you're like saying, I can't take the shot. Don't put me in, coach. Put somebody else in. You got to change the way you think about yourself. You got to begin to understand that you have been made worthy. You have been redeemed. You have been rescued. And everything you need to do, everything God has called you to do, he has already deposited on the inside of you. Second thing you got to do, you got to repent. We got to change the way we think about God. God's not against us. God's for us. 
God doesn't hate you. God loves you. God's not trying to tear you down. God's doing everything He can to build you up. As a matter of fact, if you just honestly think about your life, you would understand the devil would have destroyed you years ago if it had not been for the grace of God. When you were cursing God, God was still saving you. God's not against you. And every bad thing that happens in your life is not God. Every good thing comes from God, the Bible says. Every bad thing comes from sin, self, sin, self, or Satan. But God is the giver of good gifts. And you got to change the way you think. Because if you don't change the way you think about God, you're always going to be resistant of getting in the game. Well, because God, is he's not a good God, he may ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Well, he's probably going to ask you to do something you don't want to do, but it won't be bad. It'll be good. I promise you, Gus and Nick are requiring some things of their players they probably don't want to do. It's hard, coach. Yeah, but we're going to do it because we want to win. There's something at stake here. You got to change the way you think about God. Third thing, you got to change the way you think about sin. You got to change the way you think about sin. Sin is not your friend, sin is your enemy. Sin is anything that causes you to come short of the glory of God, anything that sidelines you. Anything that takes you out of the game. And right now, many of you are already thinking of things in your life. And you know right now, you know that God has more for you, but you also know it's that one thing in your life. Maybe it was like me. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's your self-image. Maybe it's your self-worth. Maybe it's your image of God. Maybe it's just blatant sin. Maybe you're just living right now in rebellion against the Lord. And you know you can't go that next level. You can't step into that full thing that God has for you until you deal with that thing in your life. I want to just say something. Deal with it. It is not, it is not your friend. It is your enemy. And I want to give you a scripture. Romans chapter 8, or excuse me, Romans chapter 6. Verse 10 and 11 says this. It says, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Look at verse 11. He says, and so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You should consider. What does that mean? I got to think. I got to begin to change the way I think about sin. I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. See, I talk, I talk to people all the time, Christians a lot, and when they talk about sin, they talk about sin like it's this, like it's this Superman. They talk about temptation like it's Superman. And I just can't stop it, Pastor Keith, and it's just so strong, and it's just so this, and it's just so that, and it's just so this. Oh, I'm dead to sin! I'm dead to sin! I'm dead to sin! Superman don't have power over dead things! I'm dead! To sin. Sin does not have power over me. Jesus has power over me. I am dead to sin. I am alive to God, and He is my conquering King. That's who you are. And then the last thing, you gotta, you gotta confess, you gotta repent, and you gotta follow Jesus. Because here's the good news: when you walk in the light, the darkness goes away. See, the reason many people are still struggling with their sin is because they've never walked in the light. If you stay in the darkness, the darkness continues to consume you and pursue you and attack you. But when you get in the light, where is the darkness? Where is it? It's not there. That temptation's not there. That struggle's not there. Why? Because I'm in the light. I'm in the light. And in the light, there is no darkness at all, the Bible says. 
The degree that you're struggling with your sin is the degree that you're still walking in darkness. But if I get in the light, guess what happens? If I get in the light, guess what happens? There is no darkness at all. Let me give you our last statement. We're going to wrap up. For all of you note takers, here we go. Last point. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for us to get in the game. Everything. Price has been paid. The deposit has been made. There's a jersey with your name on it. There's a spot on the field for you to play. Everything that needs to be done for you to get in the game has been done. But you can't be a fan. How many know fans buy jerseys? Players get jerseys. We got a lot of people, they got all the gear, but they don't have any game. They got all the gear, they just don't have any game. Let's get in the game, guys. I want you just to bow your heads right now. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never even acknowledged or, or, or admitted to being a fan. <laughs> Maybe you've been an observer, a spectator. Maybe you've been a critic of Christianity. I'm not sure. But I believe today that by the Holy Spirit, God has revealed himself to you. And you know more than anything else that what you need today is to know Jesus. And when we talk about being saved, when we talk about accepting Christ, what we're really talking about is following him. It's not a decision you make one time. It's a commitment you make every day of your life that I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change the way I think, and I'm going to begin to follow him every day. Because you know what? It's better. It's better to lose a few things and come into the light than to keep everything and die in the darkness. Stop holding on to the thing that's destroying you. Stop holding on to the sin that's drowning you. Stop holding on to the thing that's keeping you out of the game. Today, Jesus can become the Lord of your life. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to pray to accept Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. And I want you just right now just to stand to your feet. Just all over this building, just stand up. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never been saved before, but today I want to be saved. Today I want to trust Him. I'm willing to let go of my sin. I'm willing to grab hold of my Savior. If that's you today, I want to be saved. I've never really committed my life to Christ, but today I want to commit to Him. Come on, this is your moment. We're not going to linger much longer. Just stand to your feet. If you can't stand up in church for Jesus, I promise you, you'll never stand up for Jesus in the world. Right now, praise God. Praise God. I want to give you just about 30 more seconds, and we're going to pray together. If you've never made that decision today, you say, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to trust Him as my Lord and my Savior. Right now, as these are standing, this is your opportunity to stand. Let's just pray this prayer together. If you're standing, I want you to say this out loud with me. If you're seated, I want you just to repeat it with us today. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died to break the power of sin, to free me 
to forgive me and to lead me into my future and my hope, which is in Christ. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a great round of applause this morning. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you can be seated. We love you. We are excited and honored to have you here. We gave you an information packet today to help you take that next step. I'd love to meet you back in our Connection Center. If you're here visiting for the first time or you prayed that prayer today, back in the cafe, we have a first-time guest area. I'd love to meet you back there. I want to challenge you guys. Let's get in the game. Amen? Let's get in the game. God bless you. Next Sunday, Iron Bowl Sunday, wear your team colors. Have a great day in the Lord.